Welcome back to the Hemingway List, the best podcast ever. Talking about Of Human Bondage, Chapter 11. Kids are mean. Poor Philip. Poor Philip indeed, says I am Norwegian. And things seemed so hopeful just last chapter. At least that young teacher is making an effort. Oh, and all a growing boy needs is bread and butter. Fat and carbs, no protein. Come on, Vicar, give the boy some eggs and bacon. Fix the Blue says, I know, right? I hope dinner is at least a nice hearty stew or something for the boys. I can't see Philip having much luck getting egg or bacon out of the Careys when he writes to Aunt Louisa, though. Acoustic Eel says, yeah, Mr. Carey of all people should understand the value of a good egg every day. Again with the eggs in this book. A lot of egg talk. I'm not mad at it. Fix the Blue says, oh, what a sad chapter. Not sure if pregnancy hormones or if everything everyone's cutting onions after that. Poor Philip, I just want to give him a big cuddle. I guess boarding school is set to be rough for him. I see more bookie escapism coming for Philip. I didn't know you were pregnant, Fix the Blue. I suppose I don't really know anything about you, but congratulations. Um, <clears throat> kind of cool to think that, um, you know, this podcast, this community, is uh, keeping you entertained during your pregnancy. Um, but no, it was... I don't think it was your pregnancy hormones at all. It was really sad. The way the fact that like it was the th- first time he'd thought about his mother and that night when he went in and curled up next to her. Like, I kind of was thinking, well, hopefully he's too young at that point to really ever figure out what was going on or remember it. But he wasn't as young as he seemed. Like, he was... Wasn't he like nine or something or ten? In my head, when we read that chapter, it was like a little boy, like, you know, three or four. But it was like a, you know, a kid. Um, So he will remember that. And he will eventually figure out what was going on, if he hasn't already. Swim said the mum of fish, he said, yes, kids are mean. And the 19th century British boarding school system exacerbated kids' worst tendencies. This description I find a propos, a propos. School practices reflected a popular belief in social Darwinism, survival of the fittest, and that academic moral and physical strength were gained through challenge and adversity. Strict discipline, discomfort, even bullying was considered a necessary experience in the progress of moral and physical development. Damn. Um, oh. How different the world is now. Sour Patch and Popcorn says, Well, now I'm depressed. This really is some great writing to be hitting us all in the feels like this. I anticipate and I hope for some instances of great catharsis to come. On another note, I got flashes of Pink Floyd's The Wall from this chapter. Uh, On a third note, eggs are mentioned again. Is anyone keeping a tally? Did WSM invent the Easter egg trope? (laughs) Um... I'm not keeping a tally, but if someone could keep a tally on the egg mentions, that would be very helpful. I think we're probably up to three, or is that four? It's either three or four. Simply Barclay says, 
It saddens me that his school experience is shite. I hate how commonly school is just a terrible experience. It makes me wonder if there isn't a better solution than cramming kids into a classroom and letting them torture one another. Yeah, well, I think um, just the letting them torture one another bit is really the bit that we need to solve mostly out of all that, right? Like, just have some rules about not bullying? Uh, I mean, there's always going to be bullies, whether they're allowed to be or not. But, you know, some consequences would be nice. Alright, let's keep reading. I'm quite tired tonight, so probably just mosey right along. That's a pretty short chapter too. I'm just having a little flick down it. Alright, chapter 12 goes like this. As time went on, Philip's deformity ceased to interest. It was accepted like one boy's red hair and another's unreasonable corpulence. But meanwhile, he had grown horribly sensitive. He never ran if he could help it because he knew it made his limp more conspicuous and he adopted a peculiar walk. He stood still as much as he could with his club foot behind the other so that it should not attract notice, and he was constantly on the lookout for any reference to it, because he could not join in the games which other boys played. Their life remained strange to him. He only interested himself from the outside in their doings, and it seemed to him that there was a barrier between them and him. Sometimes they seemed to think that it was his fault if he could not play football, and he was unable to make them understand He was left a good deal to himself. He had been inclined to to talkativeness, but gradually he became silent. He began to think of the difference between himself and others. The biggest boy in the dormitory, Singer, took a dislike to him, and Philip, small for his age, had to put up with a good deal of hard treatment. About halfway through the term, a mania ran through the school for a game called Nibs. It was a game for two, played on a table or a form with steel pens. You had to push your nib with the fingernail so as to get the point of it over your opponent's while he manoeuvred to prevent this and to get the point of his nib over the back of yours. When this result was achieved, you breathed on the ball of your thumb, pressed it hard onto the two nibs, and if you were able then to lift them without dropping either, both nibs became yours. Soon, nothing was seen but boys playing this game, and the more skillful acquired vast stores of nibs. But in a little while, Mr. Watson made up his mind that it was a form of gambling, forbade the game, and confiscated all the nibs in the boy's possession. Philip had been very adroit, and it was with a heavy heart that he gave up his winning. But his fingers itched to play still, and a few days later, on his way to the football field, he went into a shop and bought a pennyworth of J-pens. He carried them loose in his pocket and enjoyed feeling them. Presently, Singer found out that he had them, Singer had given up his nibs, too, but he had kept back a very large one called a jumbo, which was almost unconquerable, and he could not resist the opportunity of getting Philip's J's out of him. Though Philip knew that he was at a disadvantage with his small nibs, he had an adventurous disposition and was willing to take the risk. Besides, he was aware that Singer would not allow him to refuse He had not played for a week and sat down to the game now with the thrill of an excitement. He lost two of his small nibs quickly, and Singer was jubilant, but the third time, by some chance, the jumbo slipped round and Philip was able to push his jay across it. He crowed with triumph. At that moment, Mr. Watson came in. "'What are you doing?' he asked. He looked from Singer to Philip, but neither answered. "'Don't you know that I've forbidden you to play that idiotic game?' 
Philip's heart beat fast. He knew what was coming and was dreadfully frightened, but in his fright there was a certain exultation. He had never been swished. Of course it would hurt, but it was something to boast about afterwards. Come into my study. The headmaster turned and they followed him side by side. Singer whispered to Philip, we're in for it. Mr. Watson pointed to Singer. Bend over, he said. Philip, very white, saw the boy quiver at each stroke, and after the third he heard him cry out. Three more followed. That'll do. Get up. Singer stood up. The tears were streaming down his face. Philip stepped forward. Mr. Watson looked at him a moment. I'm not going to cane you. You're a new boy, and I can't hit a cripple. Go away, both of you, and don't be naughty again. When they got back into the schoolroom, a group of boys who had learned in some mysterious way what was happening were waiting for them. Them. They set upon Singer at once with eager questions. Singer faced them, his face red with the pain and marks of tears still on his cheeks. He pointed with his head at Philip, who was standing a little behind him. He got off because he's a cripple, he said angrily. Philip stood silent and flushed. He felt that they looked at him with contempt. How many did you get? One boy asked Singer. But he did not answer. He was angry because he had been hurt. Don't ask me to play nibs with you again, he said to Philip. It's jolly nice for you. You don't risk anything. I didn't ask you. Didn't you? He quickly put out his foot and tripped Philip up. Philip was always rather unsteady on his feet, and he fell heavily to the ground. Cripple, said Singer. For the rest of the term he tormented Philip cruelly, and though Philip tried to keep out of his way, the school was so small that it was impossible. He tried being friendly and jolly with him. He abased himself so far as to buy him a knife, but though Singer took the knife, he was not placated. Once or twice, driven beyond endurance, he hit and kicked the beggar the bigger boy, but Singer was so much stronger that Philip was helpless, and he was always forced, after more or less torture, to beg his pardon. It was that which rankled with Philip. He could not bear the humiliation of apologies, which were wrung from him by pain greater than he could bear. <coughs> and what made it worse was that, they were, was that there seemed no end to his wretchedness. Singer was only eleven, and would not go to the upper school till he was thirteen. Philip realised that he must live two years with a tormentor, from whom there was no escape. He was only happy while he was working and when he got into bed, and often there recurred to him then that queer feeling that his life, with all its misery, was nothing but a dream, and that he would awake in the morning in his own little bed in London. All right, there we go. There's another chapter down. Have your say over at the subreddit. Um, Before I sign off, I will do a reminder at the end of the podcast that we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash The Hemingway List. If you'd like to support the podcast, pop over there now and uh, be a subscriber. You can do it for as little as $1 per month. And we are closing in on our $50 a month goal. Our first goal in which... um, are embedded some uh, pledges by me. If we get to 50 a month, there's some things that I have to do, um, <laughs> which is, uh, yeah, it's cool. I'll, I think I pledged to do two, no, two? Two chapters per week of the Bogan War and Peace. So, patreon.com slash the Hemingway list to support the podcast. Thanks for listening. I will see you tomorrow.